Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to A More Perfect Union. I'm Nick Remesong. Joining me this week from our roundtable of regulars, we have higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones. We have, as always, and are very grateful to have our Beacon Hill representative, Jeff Roy, with us, and station manager, Mr. Congeniality for many years here at the radio station, <laughs> Peter J. That's okay. Mr. See what he's Mr. wearing. He looks beautiful today. <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh, he's, he's, wow. he's, he's showing off some fashion today. Mostly he's got a shirt on. Well, that would do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, today. Um, no, we're I've never be... been known as a slave to style. <laughs> Nor fabric. Today, we're going to be touching on probably several topics, but we're going to start with one. Now, for years, there's been a popular website on the online entitled Florida or Germany. It bills itself as a, a fast, fun pastime where people read a short piece uh, about a somewhat bizarre event that exposes failings in common sense, i.e. a man sprays several ounces of lighter fluid into a wasp's nest in his garage and sets it alight, never taking into account that the nest is in a flammable structure, his garage, and as a result, his garage his home, the car in the garage, and all his possessions go up in flames. The reader has to then guess, did this happen in Florida or in Germany? I'm going with Florida. There you go. You've won no points for correct answers. Ding, 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 ding. Very popular site for the, the, the site developer, very profitable. So today, we will be playing a slight variation of this game. Florida still remains a part of the equation, but... In instead of Germany, we will be sticking a little closer to home. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to our new game of po political policy lunacy, Florida or Texas. You I love it. It's Florida like or Texas. Texas. Welcome once again to our first edition. <laughs> You're in on the inaugural day. Who wants to kick off on that one? Well, oh, you, gonna give, you have to read us a story to no, no. give us right, uh, something story. crazy that a happened. Story. Yeah, give us a story and we'll we'll guess. The United States of America is uh, dealing with uh, a potential international situation down on its southern border. Both of these states have southern borders. One Texas. Of them Texas. <laughs> Texas. <laughs> Jeffrey you didn't Roy. Ring your bell. You Jeffrey didn't go Roy. ding, 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 and uh, yeah. <laughs> well, Jeffrey was always the kid who had the piece of current affairs in his pocket at school. Right. He was a yeah. he was not well-liked, unfortunately. 
Well, that's because his family could afford a subscription to the Ooh, newspaper. The newspaper, right. <laughs> and for but those yes. of you who are listening who don't know what that is, that's the thing that kids used to deliver to your front door yeah. uh, or porch or mailbox, uh, you know. Hey, I, I made, was I made those, six uh, bucks a week. Yeah, I, I yeah. was uh, earning a good 10 to $12 a week yeah. uh, delivering the Milford Daily News and the Boston Globe to all those oh, wonderful subscribers in the great double dipper. town of Milford, Massachusetts. Well, well I, I know you were jumping in and I I knew you were going to Texas because I was listening intently as they were having the debate over those devices, the uh, buoys. buoys out in the middle of the river. The Rio Which Grande seemed to me to be one of the most bizarre things, mm. one of the most inhumane things. Oh, yes. That yes. I have heard of. Yes. In a long time. And the fact that uh, uh, the United States gave uh, the state of Texas a time period within which to remove them mm. or face legal action was uh, one of those incredible moments. And all I could think of when I heard that tale was Governor George Wallace standing up on the steps of the schoolhouse, mm -hmm. uh, prohibiting students from being admitted. That's how egregious I, I thought that move was. And, and not only did Governor Abbott refuse to comply, he doubled down on it and uh, urged the uh, urged the United States government to come after them. And I'm just like, what is going on with this world uh, that we have these types of exchanges and these types of interactions and this type of cruelty that goes on in this country that people are actually proud of? That the is cruelty a, aspect is particularly egregious. Right. Yeah. And it's it's but people are proud of it. They think mm -hmm. they're doing something good for what I don't know, uh, you know, and they do it in whose name I'm not really sure. But, uh, you know, you're harking back to how can you treat other human beings with th that level of disdain mm -hmm. that you're willing to allow them to die in an escape to freedom? And I think of my grandparents, great grandparents coming to this country. And I, I know that there are people out there saying, well, they came legally. Well, actually, they came before there were laws uh, on immigration uh, in this country. But they came here for the idea that they were going to have a better life and they were escaping from uh, conditions that would not allow them to grow and prosper. And they came to this country with a dream. The dream is fulfilled. And uh, you know, I just think of when I did my first speech on the floor of the House of Representatives, that was back in either 2014 or 2015, mm. I pointed to my colleagues uh, to the freeze, which is around the ceiling of the House chamber. And there are names of uh, 55 men who made Massachusetts uh, what it was. And uh, I implored them to think of their grandparents and their great-grandparents whose names rightly belonged up on that freeze for what they did to allow us to uh, prosper. And I couldn't help but think of what my grandparents would think about me giving a speech from that room, from that rostrum, uh, based on the experience that they went through, just trying to give 
us and our family a better life. They succeeded, yet we're going to deny other people in this world an opportunity to do that to their family. I'm just, uh, I'm getting emotional thinking about it and disturbed thinking about it. But as soon as you open your lips and you said, is it Florida or Texas? I knew you were talking about Texas and I'm saddened that you were talking about Texas and I'll leave it at that. I'm, I'm saddened yeah. we're talking about any state in the, in the United yeah. States or any country in the world for that hand to have sunk to this level where, it, as you put the life-threatening aspect of this, they get to that buoy, their only other choice they, is to try and swim around it. You cannot. They've got to go to deeper waters, and then they're going to go through barbed wire. Yeah. So there's no rational reason for any of this. Let me... Yeah. Uh... Uh, let me quote from the gentleman. He's a trooper and a medic in Texas. His name is Nicholas Wingate, and he wrote an email that has since uh, become very public, and he told his supervisors at the Texas Department of Public Safety that he actually witnessed what he called inhumane treatment in Maverick County, Texas. And he describes a situation where a four-year-old girl collapsed from uh, – the sweltering heat, a pregnant 19-year-old trapped in razor wire while suffering a miscarriage, uh, and a father slicing open his leg on similar wire as he tried to save his son from an underwater trap. Trooper Wingate uh, wrote to his supervisors that when he found a group of 120 migrants, it included nursing mothers, young children. He was ordered to deny them. He was ordered now to deny them water and push the people back into the water to go to Mexico. And he also said that he glimpsed dangerous conditions and the National Guard affirmed this as they were rushing to help a young boy who passed out from uh, dehydration and uh, heat illness that this is beyond just a sort of uh, news flash. This not only gets into the inhumane, but I think these are crimes, felonies. Well, you know, also, I would just want to throw in one thing, because I know I am not going to be with the show that long today. But as you describe that, and I'm listening to you describe it, I think of the, the biblical reference What's uh, whatever you do to the least of my brothers, that you do unto me. And some of these folks pretend to be religious and righteous, and they do this in that spirit. And they need to be reminded, whatsoever you do to the least of my brothers, that you do unto me. And it, it just cries out for humanity and humility in these circumstances. You know, I am uh, uh, I am surprised at us as a country, primarily because we have, in some ways, we're demonstrating an insensitivity to these types of atrocities, crimes, inhumane actions, and in some instances, torture of putting people through. Uh, what I call these not just dangerous, but life-threatening situations, simply because, as you uh, have eloquently put, Jeff, simply because they want a different life for their families and themselves. And it's 
you know, I'm reminded because two days ago, uh, President Biden opened up three memorials to the young man whose life was snuffed out in a horrific, torturous way, Emmett Teal. And here we are allowing these same types of atrocities to happen right in the open, as if now it's okay for us to uh, maim and torture and to uh, subject people to these dangerous situations. I don't get it. I don't get why, as a country now, we are afraid, number one, of calling it out. I'm disappointed in the media for harping on Hunter Biden's, his rejection by the judge of, or not rejection, but her delay in holding his uh, his uh, plea deal to go through holding that up. And we're not focusing on what I would call the attempted murder of people who are, albeit, yes, in uh, uh, attempting to cross the border in an uh, in an improper place, but at the same time doing it in such a way that we are threatening the lives of these individuals. How can we as citizens sit here and allow this to happen? I am, again, uh, I'm surprised and I really would like some better understanding from you, my friends, as to what is it we really ought to be doing, especially those in those of us in the media? And Nick, I'm so glad that we're playing this, uh, 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 you know, this this allegorical game here of. Yes, the game has or, gone rather and, and, and rightfully so. It has gone from a kind of lighthearted attempt at the beginning to something where we are discussing very just things that damage this country at, to its very core. Weighty issues. Yes. And I'm glad you brought up Hunter Biden because I've been watching this uh, on the side and it just reminds me of something we called years ago, woofa dust. In other <laughs> words, you just take some some dust and throw it in someone's eyes and they're blinded to yeah. what's going on around them. Yeah. And that's what the that's what is being done with Hunter Biden. This is just woofa dust. Hunter Biden, yeah. He's 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 not a he 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 could be his own game. What bad decision did Hunter Biden make today? Does but do Hunter Biden's bad decisions impact government policy? Should this be nothing more than a local judge dealing with low crimes and misdemeanors? Yes, but the media plays it up because the Re Republicans will play. Congress plays it up. Republicans, I don't want to get to one side or the other. That's a, people make their own decision on that. But it's woof of dust. It's to blind us to the bigger picture. Well, I'm I'm not going to run away from that. The uh, the people who are making the biggest issue out of this are the Republicans because they want to say that there's a tit for tat here. I don't believe it. Uh, as a matter of fact, believe it or not, I, uh, I'm concerned about the issues that are happening to our former president simply because he's our former president. But I could care less about the gravity of those things beyond for him and much more about the issues in terms of the stability of our uh, uh, of our experiment, of our democracy. That's why I'm concerned. And those things, I think, do have weight. But here is here's my issue. My issue is that 
in the 1950s and 60s, without social media, we had pictures, we had Jet, we had Look, we had Life, we had Ebony Magazine. And so once a week, you would see the culmination of all of these things in the pictures in those magazines. Now, instantly, as soon as something happens, you go on social media. You want to see, folks, uh, those of you who are listening, you want to see those buoys, get online and you can see the string of buoys and the pieces that you can't see readily uh, is the razor wire that's wrapped around them. So if you try to go over them or under them, there's razor wire. Uh, that you can get sliced up and entrapped in. Uh, and a governor ordered this to happen, and people put this down. It is not only inhumane, I still say that these are crimes. And yet we as a country are still just sort of sitting there. I don't know if we're stunned or what, and we're not really getting into this. So, and I wish that Jeff... Uh, and the and the great and general court, our legislative body, could do something about, again, what I call the crimes of inhumanity when Texas sends these people to Massachusetts, puts them on a bus or a plane and sends them here. You mean there's nothing we can do legally against Texas uh, or against those authorities who are putting these people uh, under false pretenses and sending them here? I think one of the issues is false pretenses. At the outset, when they ended up coming to Massachusetts, to the island, no less, you know, we responded, obviously. And yes, there was clearly, you know, a form of fraud there because they were told to get on a plane. Who knows, who knows where they were going? Now Texas is, you know, busing people to Chicago, to New York. And Governor Abbott is actually starting to see a response that he has hoped for. I don't argue that it's it's you know a good thing or not, but New York has started printing leaflets saying don't come to New York, and that is the thing that he is going to point to, saying that sanctuary cities are not open ended and they don't take everybody, and so now New York is starting to feel the difficulties of managing you know a large influx of people. Uh, as Texas is. And, uh, you know, getting back to the root cause of all this, Governor Abbott basically is using all of this as an opportunity to be reelected. Let's just put that out there because, you know, citizens of Texas are obviously concerned, you know, and I'll underscore concerned. And this is his way to say, I am fighting the good fight for you. Um, and and <laughs> so he's putting himself up as as the great defender of the state. So, you know, how do we, you know, the, the busing of, of citizens to other places like Chicago and New York, I don't know that that's a horrible thing. As long as the citizens are fully informed, they know where they're going, they know why they're going there, they make a choice. In other words, if you arrive in this country and you roll up, you know, in Texas and you are ushered into the country under whatever auspices, um, and then they say, well, we have a bus going to L.A., we have a bus going to Chicago. We have a bus going to Milwaukee. Name the sanctuary, you know, location of your choice. Um, if they're fully informed, and of course, fully informed means, you know, in their native language, et cetera, and they talk about options. You could do this. You could do that. Whatever. Do you have sponsors in these locations? Do you have a plan? 
if it's orderly and informed, ultimately the entire country has to find a way to deal with the issue and not just leave it on the shoulders of Texas. The boys is another matter. You know, the razor wire, all of that other stuff. You know, now we're now we're getting extreme. And on that one, I agree with you. Yeah, we're reaching a level of crimes against hum- humanity. Well, uh, we have the other side of the coin. We have Florida. We've got there's another oh, yeah. side. Yes, yeah, there's another side. Yeah, where we have crimes against history. I don't know what you'd call it? History, history. Yes. Yeah. The, um, the denial of truth. Uh, the denial of truth, or the the shading of truth, shall we say? Shading with. <laughs> The with burying rather... of the head in the proverbial mm-hmm. sand. <laughs> well, he's he's not burying his head so much as he's kind of peeking over the top and saying, this is the way I see it, while he's got his <laughs> hand over his eyes. Um, but, of course, we're talking about the the legislation in Florida public schools where they are now uh, mandated to teach about slavery in a certain and how good it was how good it was how good it was for the enslaved people not the slaves the enslaved people who... oh yeah you know i am i am off reminded when i hear comments like that from especially from politicians that scene in uh, blazing saddles when uh when when the the overseer who's trying to get the railroad built Asked the workers, uh, why don't you all sing me one of those wonderful songs and stuff? Those, And then they start singing this very uh, sort of slow religious songs. And, and he says, no, 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 no. He says, you guys know that you're happier than that and stuff. I want <laughs> one of those uplifting songs like Camp Town Races. Yeah, uh, Camp Town Ladies. Yeah, yeah, Camp Camp Town, Town, yeah Camp Town Ladies. And, uh, you know, and and when I hear the uh, the rhetoric coming out of Florida, I'm reminded that there are so many people who really would like slavery to be portrayed as, oh, those wonderful African people were so elated to be enlightened and shown the religious uh, uh, right of uh, of Christianity and how wonderful it was that we were teaching them skills. Now, here's the irony. From a historical perspective, and there are very few, there are some of the places, especially for those of you who, when you go on vacation um, and you visit a plantation, let's say, you go to Louisiana or uh, one of the other states where uh, visiting a plantation is open to the general public, one of the things that you find out is that some of the uh, many of the building techniques in terms of trying to put up large structures was brought to this country by the slaves. Now, don't forget that in many instances, the people who were captured and brought to America were already artisans and had a huge agricultural base. So that many of the folks who survived, bless their hearts, had skills, including the skill of being able to take wood and construct it in such a way that you could put together these pieces uh, in many instances without nails. Now, here's the real key, without nails and have the structure stand. 
Post and Beam. And so, uh, well, actually, it wasn't just Post and Beam, Pete. Some of them had these, like these little circular uh, little pieces that they would, uh, they could auger holes. And then they could take these little pieces and join folks together. Mm-hmm. I mean, join these pieces together. All right. And it wasn't a nail, but it was like a nail. And it would last the whole lifetime of the uh, of the wood. Rice, for example, was introduced to this country because a lot of the women hid the rice kernels in their hair, thinking that if we ever got to a place where we needed food, we could have these and started to grow. Uh, And it was the Africans who brought the ability to raise rice to this country. So here it is. He's trying to, and his Department of Education, say that these skills were taught to them by their slave masters. Unfortunately, many of the skills that these people had were actually taught to the slave masters by the people that they were enslaving. That's ironic. And here it is that they're trying to deny or to change history and say, oh, no, these people gained these skills from their masters. Well, another big part of the irony is the fact that they were not brought here um, in comfort, were they? Oh, no. They were stacked. They were laid in a hole in the bottom of the ship in row upon row upon row of chain body on chain body on chain body. The person next to you fester wounds, sick, dead, perhaps. So the introduction to this country was uh, not their idea to come here. The what skills they might have been taught were taught for the benefit of the master, not the enslaved person. They might have been trained in something they didn't have a skill for at that time, but it was not for their benefit. It was for the benefit of the slaveholder. And I, I, I also appreciate you having brought up the aspect of visiting plantations, which is, you know, falling off a little bit. Uh, but uh, there's still one that is not often referred to as a plantation, but was, and that's Monticello. So we have institutionalized a lot of what happened then and said that this was, you know, this was a president's estate. It was a Jefferson's estate. I mean, he was a a good and great man, a founding father, lived in a different time. But we still celebrate plantation where hundreds were enslaved. And the same is true for Mount Vernon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I encourage folks not only to take the opportunity, because at least they're starting to try to get the history of Mount Vernon and Monticello correct. And especially if you're ever down in the New Orleans area, there are three or four, uh, Destrahan uh, and uh, Laura, uh, a number of plantations along the Mississippi River that I think tell some really great, real and accurate history, uh, not only about those times, but about some of those processes and how they happen. Uh, but back to Florida. It seems to me that again we're on a we're on a very dangerous path here. When uh, again and again, this is not new. This happened right during Reconstruction and just before, uh, just as the Jim Crow era started to kick off in the 1880s. 
where, again, the people in the South in particular started to retell history. That's why in many instances we have for every Civil War battle, there are two names. Many of our citizens don't know this, but there are two names for every battle. There's the Southern Confederate name of that battle. And then there's the Northern Army, Union Army uh, name for that battle. Uh, And the reason being is because uh, between, let's say, uh, 1885 and 1920, there was a retelling of the history of the Civil War. And that retelling was to try to modify uh, the cause of the war and as well as some of the atrocities that took place. And here we go again. There's also a renaming of the entire war, which in the South is often referred to as the War of Northern Aggression. Of the North, yes, indeed. And my work in Alabama, mm-hmm. I run into folks who still, and they are doing this not, not tongue in cheek. They are very serious. They call it the War of Northern Aggression, and it fits right in with their uh, with their animosity toward mm-hmm. uh, the Dems. Uh, what I think the larger view of this too, Doctor Mike, is the fact that all of this. You know, going all the way back from 1860 to now, here we are 150 years later, and we are still relitigating our history. This is what's going on. We're relitigating it, and it's being driven by a powerful conservative movement that doesn't want to come to grips with the past. With an unfortunate past. Let's put it that way, yeah. Right. They do not want the ugly side of uh, history. But uh, moving uh, a little sideways there, you brought up Alabama. Appreciate that, Michael. You're just feeding it to me. Hitting these these easy easy ones to me. We have Alabama in defiance of the United States Supreme (laughs) Court. Yes. Isn't uh, I thought the court was in the hands of the uh, conservatives, uh, the corrupt and the the (laughs) the somewhat unethical Supreme Court. But now Alabama is openly defying. The Supreme Court. Can you can you give us a, a lightness yeah, on friend, that? Yeah, uh, my friends in Alabama who I was uh, uh, I'm back in Franklin for this particular episode. But last week I was in Alabama and I had an opportunity to have lunch and to have some meetings with friends and some folks who are pretty high up in the uh, in the Ivy administration. And I asked them about this defiance if not downright ignoring of the Supreme Court uh, directive sent back to the lower court to redraw the map and to add another minority-majority congressional district. And their response to me was, well, you know, the, uh, the issue is one of control. Now, my friends happen to be honest with me when we're having conversations, because typically our conversations are off the record, and typically they're aside from our work in workforce development and in higher ed. Uh, So uh, I appreciated this level of honesty. And the real key here was not necessarily their uh, ignoring the the order from uh, the lower court to draw another map, but basically the appeal from uh, Kevin McCarthy and the House of Representatives to don't do this quickly 
make sure that you're forced to do it because as you move in that direction, we're liable to lose our majority in the House of Representatives. Uh, so the maneuver itself was not one necessarily of just pure defiance. Of course, it comes across that way, and it is a defiant move. But this is also political. And again, here we are in this country. We've come to a point where uh, we can ignore the court if it doesn't serve our political purposes. And I told my friend, shame on you. Shame on you for sitting here and being a part of this administration and thinking that that's okay. Uh, and some of them told me, well, I don't think it's okay. I'm just telling you the truth, Michael, in terms of you, you know how it is that the state is reacting to this. But at the end of the day, the nation doesn't see the politics of it. What they see is, oh, it's okay to defy the Supreme Court. There's nothing that's going to happen to us. And then ultimately, the court will put together its own map, and then we'll be forced to accept that map. Uh, but in the meantime, we get to stay in power for every single day that we get to delay this. That's it. Slow yeah. roll it. Yeah, it's it, it's. It's it's purely the optics to a certain extent. I mean, they are showing that they can do it and they can accomplish something that they want just by refusing to move inertia as political power. And, you know, I, I, I'm surprised, too, that there are states that aren't taking advantage of some of the changes that are taking place, especially around. Let's again go to Alabama. Alabama has actually one of the harshest laws in the country around abortions, anti-abortion law. A doctor could, if he or she is found guilty of performing uh, an abortion, could go to jail for 90 years. That's the statutory uh, incarceration limit, 90 years. And let me tell you what's happening at the University of Alabama. and the University of Alabama, Birmingham, where there are two large medical centers, the number of resignations at those two institutions, that is doctors who are leaving, especially in OBGYN and pediatric care, the number of resignations has increased 50% and growing. I think it's important now for a governor like Maura Healy to sort of send up the uh, the signal that, hey, Massachusetts welcomes any doctor or any professional who wants to come to Massachusetts to work and get away from those harsh environments where your livelihood can be threatened because you try to do your medical duty. Exactly. This is happening in a national scope. This is a big deal because there are two aspects of it. Number one, this this flight to safety that medical professionals seek. They see Massachusetts as a bellwether state, other states as well that are more welcoming, more open, uh, more reasoned in the way they govern health practice. But then also, too, they have to find an institution willing to accept them predicated on their qualifications. Now, here in Massachusetts, obviously, we have a very high standard for healthcare in general. You know, we're known for that in this state which means that somebody coming from some other state has to put forward a CV uh, or whatnot that will at least make them competitive in our state. So what you end up seeing from states that support abortion is a flight of quality. 
which means that the only people who don't leave those states are people who either chose to stay where they are based on inertia or they found that they couldn't move because right. they couldn't put forward a CV that was strong enough to go to another state. So the net of it is that the healthcare in all of these states that are very pro-abortion is that, you know, both in terms of quantity and quality, over the longer term, their healthcare options are going to continue to decline. Mm -hmm. Or anti-abortion, right? not pro. Yeah. Correct. Right. Correct. Right. Yeah. Well. And, and Pete, you know, I'm uh, uh, I'm wondering if in a number of areas, uh, and again, let's stick with Alabama for one more turn. <laughs> the uh, 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 Senator Tupperville who has demonstrated his willingness to be a one-man wrecking crew for our military mm -hmm. is getting a lot of support from the anti-abortion people. Uh, however, believe it or not, in Alabama, there are those who, uh, in the sort of local communities, who are seeing him as a jester. Uh, as a person who, number one, doesn't understand the issue that he's pushing, and number two, is not the right, they don't see him as the right voice for uh, for his argument, uh, and number three, they also agree that he is hurting our military stance in the world mm -hmm. and our military readiness. Unfortunately, it's not an issue where people are going to go on record telling him to stand down inside of Alabama. That's mm. the part that I, really disturbs me is that people will say this privately, but they won't go publicly on the record. And these are some of my friends are some pretty high ranking individuals in the state. And you ask them, you say, listen, why don't you just stand? No, I can't. I can't go to the press or. Uh, or put something on social media, then I'll be an outcast, and then I may lose favor with X, Y, Z, etc. Uh, and again, it's shameful that we have come to a place where politics means more than our humanity. And there we but are. Much more. Much more. Uh, we see now uh, this increase among <clears throat> the politicals that whatever local action I take within my state will garner votes. Uh, obviously, you know, Joe Manchin represents his state, which is, you know, a coal mining state. And, you know, he stepped up to basically stop a lot of the larger democratic and progressive initiatives to get what he wanted. And there was a long, long period of negotiation there to try to garner his cooperation and pull a vote in. But this, this seems to be a case of not only do we have an increased polarization of red states and blue states. We also seem to have this increased uh, local polarization where politicians, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you name the name, there is this long and growing list of what I'll call the vaguely infamous who are not really looking at the greater good at all with respect to representing mm. the better interests of the people, not just for their state, but for the country, and that they are running on increasingly optics-based and flimsier mm -hmm. threads that are more culture than they are uh, progress. And again, we, we, we move Win on. at any cost. Win at any cost. Yes, sir. That power is what you're seeking. Power is what you need to feed your your hunger. But, uh, but Michael, earlier you did kind of move it up north of the uh, Mason-Dixon line. 
And you mentioned New York. So let's 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 shift to New York now. You're just you're just leading into everything, Michael. <laughs> I'll uh, your checks in the mail. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about the former mayor of New York City. Oh, little fellow by the name of Rudy Giuliani. America's mayor. America's mayor. Mr. Mayor. Yes, Mr. Mayor. Mr. Mayor is uh is uh, is 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 kind of confused about what is and what isn't illegal or protected speech these days. He has recently uh, admitted that he lied and he defamed. Say it ain't so. Say it ain't so, but it is. He says it's so, but he said that defamation and that that those lies were protected speech. He <laughs> presents them as having been opinion when, in fact, he stated them as fact. Why has and, he not been brought before the bar board of overseers? I think yes. that uh, uh, that that's that's you know a question that goes well beyond my uh, my legal standing. Yeah, um, he has. He he's lost his license. Practice. Okay. Yeah, in in one jurisdiction, uh, there are several other jurisdictions, and I think he's. Uh, I think the reason that some of the other jurisdictions haven't pursued it is because when he lost his license in New York. That was his main source. Mm -hmm. uh, others, I think, are reciprocity licenses. Yeah. So he loses in New York, then he loses everywhere. And but then the, the optics, you know, optics being all, that would be something, you know, if you just keep going down the line and he just gets uh, denied everywhere, that might not be so bad. But getting back to him, uh, there are also rumors that he is speaking uh, on the QT, as they used to say in Hush Hush. <laughs> on the QT to the January 6th committee. And he may be the next one who, you know, comes to, has come to the realization that when you when you align yourself with Trump, there's nobody at your back that doesn't no, have a knife. Nothing good happens. Nothing good happens because if he's at your back, it's with a knife. <laughs> and I think there, there there's some indication that this uh, this admission was kind of a. I don't know, a bizarre attempt to curry favor with the courts. I have no idea how he came to that decision, but he's come to some pretty odd decisions of late. So what do we think about uh, his chances of escaping uh, conviction in this uh, this case from among the Georgia so-called Georgia voting scandal? Yeah, well, well two things. One, uh, I think he is he is going to be one of the people indicted in Georgia. I also believe, too, that he is going to because uh, I think the two ladies out of Georgia have also filed suit against him for defamation. They uh, have. As yeah. Well, as uh, the mother and daughter. Yeah. Yeah. As well as Trump and a number of other people. And I'm I'm really rooting for them for a at least seven figure defamation award. Uh, their their testimony at the January 6th committee was it was just heart-wrenching heart it was they cannot they can't they make, can't make a living any longer right they had to leave their homes because of death threats that were all fostered by these statements that giuliani has now admitted were lies but he and, doesn't think there's any reason he should be punished and the president of the united states calling you a criminal publicly to the extent that you now not only do you don't have a livelihood, but your life is threatened by the, uh, you know, by these supporters of the the, the MAGA supporters. 
And I think, again, here is where, as a country, we're losing it because these folks lost their livelihood based on their community service as volunteers. I know. That's the atrocity in Mm -hmm. my mind. They were volunteering. Uh, I've done that same job that they were doing here in Franklin while I was uh, both a member and chair of the Franklin Democratic Town Committee. Uh, I did my civic duty. I served. I got up with Deborah Pellegri and the other poll workers at four o'clock in the morning, 4 a.m. to get to the polls so that at six o'clock when the polls opened, uh, we were ready for the citizens to come in and uh, do their civic duty and vote. We had some uh, stale pizza all day and donuts and other kinds of things. But uh, it seems to me that there is a need for us to go back and understand when people do their civic duty and volunteer, they ought to be protected from politicians as well as those who would do them harm. So I'd, I'd really like to hear your thoughts about, uh, you know, what should the outcome of this be? Well, certainly I agree with you that there is a profound chilling effect. That is, you know, Mark Twain summed it up. No good deed goes unpunished. And you volunteer to help out. You get up at 4 a.m., you know, waiting for your slice of cold pizza, whatever. And, and you, put, you know, these are long days. You know, not only rising early, but these days go and go and go. Election days are not easy. And they do it with cheer and they do it with the fact that they know they're supporting the great experiment at the local level. God bless them. But with that said, knowing that, you know, angry people can come out of the woodwork and and provide a real threat, that there is a proximal cause between a good work and a bad outcome, it's already difficult enough finding volunteers. What comes of this and how much worse does it get if this continues unchecked? Now, there, it's again, it's, it's woof of dust. You attack the weakest member of what you consider to be the conspiracy against you or the conspiracy that you've created against you in your mind, and you go after them and you just draw people's attention to some place where you're, it's the old magic, uh, magical aspect mm-hmm. of uh, not disassociation, but, you know, Make them look one place left when you're you're working magic with your right deflection. Yeah, deflection. So and, it's and exactly and mm-hmm. and the issue with be it gaslighting, wolf of dust, all of that. Mm-hmm. The issue is that it has real consequence. It does, but they don't think about that. Other than this can get me uh, the time that air time that I need, uh, the exposure. It can maybe put me on a national level, or if I'm already on a national level, hopefully it will keep me there. Whether the people want me here or not, I'll stay. Well, on those cheery notes, we have come to another... Uh, cheery notes. Cheery notes. Cheery notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another more perfect union hour has flown by, and we have to say goodbye until next week. If you would like to weigh in on our discussions, we would love to hear from you as always. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. If you enjoyed our discussion, let us know. If you disagree, we keep waiting for this. But if you disagree, all the more reason to let us know. 
Now, you can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online at our website, wfpr.fm. And for our guests, who are no longer guests, they're just part of the family, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, our representative on Beacon Hill, Jeff Roy, and belatedly, and I am sorry we've I've missed him all this time, but our engineer, our very capable and very patient engineer. Our audio Keith, guru. Our audio guru, Keith Palmieri. And as always, having just the spoke master up there, of the dial. Yes, sir. <laughs> the dial and the knob. Uh, Peter J, station manager. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Keith is fading me out, fading me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'd also like a shout out to to our uh, to our uh, one of our other partners, uh, Natalia Linos. Absolutely. Who will be uh, back with is, us uh, in about a month. Yeah, mm-hmm. she yes. is uh, uh, doing her uh, her duties as a mother with her children during the summer. And uh, we miss you and uh, want to give a shout out to her. Uh, but we also uh, would like to uh, send a shout out to Rachel Plaukus, uh, who will mm-hmm. hopefully be joining us in a couple of weeks. She's uh one of our local Franklin residents. Good to have her back. Well, someone you're probably not looking forward to having back. I'm Nick Remesong. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.